Would you please be seated, friends? And would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 14. And we will pick up uh, where we left off last week here in chapter 14. And I would like to read for us right now verses 1 through 7 again, if you'll listen again to the Lord's word. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen. Would you bow with me, friends, and let's ask the Lord's help. We again thank you, Father, for this night. Thank you for the body of Christ and for these wonderful hymns of praise and, um, and of truth that we get to sing, how they encourage our hearts and how we stand and, and sing praise just like our fathers of old who also underwent the things that are, are not strange to us, uh, but we have entered into the struggles uh, that they have gone through. Well, Father, would you please bless your word tonight for these folks who hear, for those who may hear in the future. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage your saints, that we would be bold in our witness and faithful in our witness of the one who has loved us with an ever everlasting love. We would hold him up faithfully and never be discouraged or quieted in our testimony of you. We ask these things and for your help now in Jesus' name, amen. So as I've been working through Acts 14, as we've started to do this, uh, in God's providence, I have just across my news feeds um, several reports just in the last two days. Here is a report uh, from uh, an observatory on intolerance and discrimination against Christians in Europe. And it says that religiously motivated hate crimes against Christians in Europe jumped by 44% in just one year. Reveals a sobering report by a prominent Christian persecution monitoring group and they report that between 2022 and 2023, uh, this annual report, which documents a sharp rise in violent incidents and social hostility against Christians, as well as in vandalism and arson attacks on churches. The report also underscores legal developments in several European countries that infringe upon the religious freedom of Christians, including hate speech legislation, under which some Christians have been prosecuted for voicing mainstream Christian beliefs in public. And skipping down a bit, they say in 2022, the OIDAC Europe doc documented 748 anti-Christian hate crimes in 30 different countries, ranging from arson attacks, graffiti, desecrations, and thefts, to physical attacks, insults, and threats. From 2021 to 2022, anti-Christian hate crimes increased by 44% from 519 to 748, including arson attacks, which rose from 60 to 105. Here's another report. Headline reads this, and this happened a day ago. 
you probably didn't hear about it. I saw it on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. And someone posted this, and they said, sounds made up, there's no proof. And then the guy who posted this actually posted the article. Man shot in head after preaching on street and urging people to attend church. A man is in critical condition after being shot in the head while preaching Wednesday on a street corner in Phoenix, in a Phoenix suburb. This is in our country. Hans Schmidt, 26, was shot near Victory Chapel, the church where he serves as an outreach director. At around 6.15 p.m. Wednesday before a service began, the church said no arrests have been made according to the Glendale, Arizona Police Department. The church goes on and they say, we do believe in evangelism. That's why there's young men standing in the corner preaching the gospel, Marsh, Marsh said. Schmidt uh, was a former military combat medic, has, has a wife and two children. And this uh, a man who stood by hearing Mr. Schmidt preaching um, said this. He said he wasn't being hateful. There was nothing hateful about what he was doing. He was standing on the corner preaching the gospel, inviting people to go to church. One, um, one article I saw said that there were people testifying that as they, people were driving by, there were shrieks and people calling out bad things. Here's a young man who needs our prayers. His name is Hans Schmidt, He's 26, shot in the head for preaching the gospel in the Phoenix area. A third report came across my news feed. Nigeria is the most dangerous place to be a Christian. Nigeria is the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Nigeria is billed as the world's top oppressor because of its endemic and anti-Christian violence. Radical Muslim terror groups such as Boko Haram and Fulani militants have waged a 20-year genocide against Christians in Nigeria. The report declared, and as a result, Christian men, women, and children are brutally kidnapped, tortured, and killed every week in Nigeria. In just 128 days of 2022, spanning from March 4th to July 6th, a total of 55 separate attacks resulted in the deaths of 549 Christians. You may not think that persecution is occurring in the world and we may think reading these passages of scripture like we've read is somehow foreign to what the church is undergoing and experiencing as we began looking at this some weeks ago but again picking back up last week uh, looking at this passage um, as we considered it we are and we're reminded that where the word of god the gospel of his grace salvation of the sinner and christ alone where it is to be preached there will be division, there will be persecution. That's a fact. So we have seen now in chapter 13 and here again in chapter 14, uh, this, this very thing play out. In Pisidia, Antioch, the true gospel was preached. Again, salvation is of the Lord and not the work of our hands. As the apostle states elsewhere, uh, in scriptures that you are well familiar with. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man or no one may boast. And again, in Titus 3.5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Notice that these verses that the Apostle Paul himself wrote um, 
summarized quite nicely the gospel he preached in Antioch in, in Acts chapter 13. Remember, he says, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. He put up with them in the wilderness, he says. He destroyed seven nations. He distributed their land. He gave them judges. They asked for a king, and God gave them Saul. Remember, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. So he gives them a king like the nations around them, gives them Saul. And God removed Saul, and he raised up David to be their king, a man who would do all my will. And Paul would say, from the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. And he would summarize saying, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So we are shown here in these passages what, what the response is to the gospel. Again, the church reading these things and, and being discouraged, you know, why isn't the world loving this gospel? Why aren't they responding to my sermons? Why aren't they just falling over and saying, tell us more, tell us more? Sometimes they did, and oftentimes they don't. And the church reading this becomes discouraged in our mission. Why aren't we seeing more people flock to the church? Are we doing something wrong? So we're showing how the word was responded to, oftentimes with wonder, faith on the part of those who believed, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they did believe, and was also responded to, the word was also responded to in a wretched fashion. They were driven out of the region of Pisidian Antioch, as you recall, and as we began to look at last week, that in the city of Iconium, as they have gone there to preach the gospel in the synagogue, the same thing has happened again, and again, there are those who respond wonderfully, and there are those who respond after a wretched fashion. Again, dispelling the myth that if you say the right things in the right manner to the right audience, you can avoid getting people upset. I hear this all the time. You just need to be winsome. How do you winsomely tell somebody, buddy, you're dead in your sins and trespasses, and if you die in your sins, you will go to hell? You know, give, give them a big smile afterwards. You can't say some things winsomely enough. You can't. The truth is offensive, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that we go out of our way to be offensive in giving the truth. Only that we always want to fall back on something we have done in our performance and say, well, if I had just done it this way, I might have closed the deal. Friends, it's not ours to close any deals. It's just ours to proclaim and tell the truth in love. And so we clearly see here that Paul and Barnabas, they're not doing anything wrong. They're doing the exact same thing. They're giving the truth of the gospel, and we're finding the same response that happened in Antioch is now also happening in Iconium. The gospel is an affront to the natural man, to the man of this earth whose confidence is in no other except himself and his abilities and endeavors. The gospel is an affront. Persecution was the result, uh, was the result on the part of the non-believing Jews. We are told again, the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. So what we have in Acts 14 is the same song, the second verse. 
These responses, my friend, faith and hatred are the typical responses to the gospel message, and this should not surprise us. It should not cause us to necessarily ask, have we done something wrong that these men and women are coming after us? It is likely that we have done something right, and you have given the truth faithfully. Persecution's purpose is to silence the gospel. The young man, Hans Schmidt, I hope he recovers, and I hope that in a month's time he will be back out there preaching the gospel, because this is what is intended to occur. We shut people down. We intimidate them into silence. We scare them away. I hope our brothers and sisters in Nigeria do not stop singing and meeting for worship. I hope that they sing louder. I hope that they witness more more faithfully than they do. Um, the persecutions taking place in Europe. I hope these dear brothers and sisters in Europe don't stop talking about Jesus Christ. If Europe, in any time in history, it's probably at this time that it is probably spiritually the most dark, barring the, the you know, prior to the gospel reaching those regions. Um, Persecution's purpose is to silence the gospel, to scare those who believe it, to stop sharing, or to cause us to quit, to apostatize, to fall away from Christ. And as we saw last week, without going into much detail, what one might expect to be the case, that the apostles, again, experiencing a fresh round of persecution in Iconium, you might have expected them to have some sort of PTSD uh, maybe they had packed their bags and left Iconium at the first hint of persecution, but they don't. And that's the model for us. This is, what do we do in the face of opposition? What did they do? We're told they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. The Lord was with them blessing the word, causing it to be verified by signs and wonders, demonstrating that both his messengers and their message were true, sustaining them in the midst of hardship. They did not quit their mission, but were faithful to do what the Lord sent them to do. And so, my friends, must we. We must never stop speaking of the Lord. Never. Remember what the Sanhedrin, the council, said to the apostles in Jerusalem. They said, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They filled Jerusalem with their teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. How did the apostles, Peter, how did they respond to the 70? 70, 70 powerful men and fishermen and tax collectors addressing them. What do they say? We must obey God rather than men. The Lord calls us, friends, disciples. He calls us to follow regardless. Jesus said, and I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. And so as we continue in this chapter 14, uh, we are shown that things become more intense. They become more intense. Maybe if I just soften, maybe if I just back down, maybe if I cease and desist, maybe, maybe things will go better. 
We're shown in verses 4 and 5 the effect of and the response to the gospel. Listen again to verses 4 and 5. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia. The apostles do not quit. Rather, again, they spend a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. The effect of such powerful signs and wonders in conjunction with the preaching, we are told by Luke, is that the people of the city were divided. That is, the people were split into factions. Some were with uh, the unbelieving Jews, some sided with them, and others sided with the apostles. And the, the word here, apostles, is not being used uh, in the narrow sense, meaning uh, the original disciples. It's being used in this broad sense as one who was sent, a missionary. And so it includes here Paul and Barnabas. People are siding. The, the, the city is divided. Half of them are, are with Paul and Barnabas and others are with the unbelieving Jews. This is the effect of the word. Listen to what Jesus said. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Remember, friends, that Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and Greeks. These people believed the gospel. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. They gave to him their allegiance and their loyalty. And this always creates tension. This creates division. There are now things the Christian won't do. There are now things the Christian mustn't do, places he shouldn't go physically or in conversation or whatever it might be. A man who is redeemed by the blood of Christ and dwelt by the Spirit of God is to give his all to his Savior. And that's what these people did. And again, listen to what our Lord said. He says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Friends, the division in the city occurred because people were loving the Lord more than their spouses, their family members, neighbors, and acquaintances. I want to say that again because I don't think we suffer like this in our nation. The division that occurred in the city occurred because people were loving the Lord more than their spouses, their family members, neighbors, and acquaintances. A living and genuine faith results in divisions. A living and genuine faith results in divisions. Many so-called Christians do not love Jesus Christ more than their family members and friends. And how do you know? You will not obey what the Lord says in order that you may keep the peace with this uh, other person, whoever it might be. And that's a tall order. That's what the Lord says. If you don't love me more than these, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And it, it dawned on me that in, in our culture, there's this huge cry for peace all the time. Peace, peace. 
And, and Christians are saying, well, we've got to have peace. But never, friends, at the expense of truth. Never at the expense of truth. Just think back to Daniel. You're not to pray to anyone but to Darius, or Darius, however you want to pronounce it. You're not to pray to anyone but him. Oh, Daniel says, I have to keep peace. Well, I'll just pray to Darius for the next month. I won't worry about it. And what does he do? He goes and does what he always does. He goes up, he, his windows are open, he faces Jerusalem, and three times a day he goes up there. I mean, you can see him. He reads the, the notice, he goes, oh, that's interesting. He drops it, and he goes up to his room to pray, just like he always had. Not just being a, not just a rebellious spirit. Oh, yeah, you're going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. He doesn't do that. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of great faith. He can't obey the order of the king because it's godless. It's a godless thing. And the Christian cannot, must not, condone godlessness and sinfulness and say, well, in order to keep peace, I just have to go along to get along. We don't do that. That creates tension. And guess what that does to cities? It divides cities. If, if, our, if our idol, if our goal is peace, friends, kiss Jesus Christ goodbye. Kiss him goodbye because we're just playing a game. If he is who he says he is, and he has done what we are told that he has done. He deserves nothing less than all of us in every circumstance. This is where the church loses its light. This is where the church loses its saltiness because we've made an idol of peace and we have not esteemed and recognized Jesus Christ on his throne. A living and genuine faith results in divisions. Friends, understand that the gospel of the Lord does bring peace. It brings the right kind of peace. Paul writes of it in Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace we want, peace with God. Peace with God will result in strife with the world. Peace with God will result in strife with the world. In John 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And James writes, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. The Christian can no longer go along with sin and strife results. And this is what we read about in Acts 14. This is the source of strife. This is the source of division. It's that these people who have believed have, are following Jesus Christ. They are, their allegiance, their loyalty is now to Christ. It's not to their spouse. And I understand these are difficult things we navigate. We have family members who, 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 who don't believe. I have it too. Uh, in, in my, my, amongst my siblings. You go to a dinner and they want to say something and you don't laugh because you think it's disrespectful, it's ungodly, it's not something to laugh about. And they look at you like you're a, in a snit. It's your problem. You think you're better than everyone? <laughs> no. 
I just think the Lord doesn't want me laughing at those things. I think we ought to go to church. I think we ought to remember the things of the Lord. Right? Everyone's got it. It's not an easy thing, but it's the thing that the Lord calls us to. And, and I'm really, we've got to get over our idolatry of family and of friends and of society. Friends, you're not going to stand before them on Judgment Day. You're going to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. You're going to give an account to the Lord on Judgment Day. Not my sister. I'm not going to stand before her. I'll be standing alongside of her as the Lord separates the sheep from the goats. So ask yourself, who do you belong to? And where is your allegiance? We see here that obedience to Christ, faith in Christ, necessarily brings strife as a result. And then we read, And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, clashes have come about, those siding with the apostles, with the Lord, and those siding with the Jews. It was the Jews in Pisidian Antioch who, and I'm quoting from 1350, incited incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and who instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and who drove them out of their district. And it was the Jews, those who disbelieved, who stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren in 14.2. And now Luke records that an attempt was made by both Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them. The Gentiles according to Luke, are leading the charge, and the Jews now are supporting them. They have convinced the Gentiles that something must be done with these men, with these men, Paul and Barnabas. They have upset the whole city. Look what they're doing. This is terrible, what they're doing. See what they are doing and see what they have done. There has been no peace since they have been here in this town. We've got to do something. Won't you help us? What's the line? Vanity working on a weak mind leads to every sort of mischief or evil. I botched it, but it's, it's what's happening. Oh, the Jews are behind this. They've incited the Gentiles. Now they've got the Gentiles so worked up that they're starting to mistreat and they're planning to stone Paul and Barnabas. And here we have this big thing. This thing has, has blown up. They have managed to get everyone uh, worked up. Gentiles, Jews, and the rulers, both the local authorities and the leaders of the Jewish synagogue. In an attempt, a a hostile movement is made to mistreat and to stone them. To mistreat them means to treat them shamefully, to give them, deliver blows, personal assaults, treating them contemptibly, hurtful and demeaning speech. But even worse, not only demoralizing them, They are going to make an attempt on their lives with stoning them. This is how you, this was um, capital punishment. We're going to kill them with rocks. I've never been to the Middle East. I understand there's a lot of rocks (laughs) to be thrown. And so they attempt to kill them. This is how much they hate these messengers, Paul and Barnabas. This is how much they hate the gospel and its effect. This is how much they hate the Lord. What would provoke a man to come by and shoot another man in the head 
while he's standing on the corner, not being mean-spirited, but preaching the gospel. It's hatred. Paul and Barnabas have to now make a decision as to what to do. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, we said as children. But the Gentiles and Jews don't want to stop with just names. Now it's a matter of physical harm. What do they do? When is enough enough? When do you say, I've had enough, or it's time to move on? Verses 6 and 7, we read this. They became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Paul has experience with fleeing dangerous situations. Um, in Acts 9, 23 and 25, remember he's in Damascus, he's arguing powerfully against the Jews, nobody contends with him, and there's a plot to murder him, and remember the brethren find out in Damascus about Paul, Saul, at that point, and, and they lower him through a, an opening in the wall down so that he can escape. And then in Acts 9, 28 and 30, he makes his way to Jerusalem. And there, again, there was a plot uh, that was discovered to murder him. And once discovered by the brethren, they send him down to Caesarea where they ship him off to Tarsus. So Paul has a, a fair amount of experience. And then we come to Acts 30, verse 50. And again, he is driven out by the Jews of Pisidian Antioch. And now again in Acts 14, 5, uh, there is this plan that is discovered uh, to stone he and Barnabas. One commentator said it is likely that the apostles received information from fellow Christians who learned of the plot to murder them. What should they do? Should they stay in Iconium and trust the Lord with their lives? Should they go and trust the Lord that he will continue to take care of the church there? This is a difficult question that I think only the individual can ever answer with much prayer. What should Christians do in the face of opposition? What should the Nigerians do? What should those Christians in Europe do? What should that church do or any other Christian down in the Phoenix area after this shooting? What do you do? Why should protecting your life be considered weak or faithless? It just might be the better part of prudence. I don't believe that Paul and Barnabas are acting in any way in a self-centered, selfish manner. I want to read to us Paul, what he wrote in Philippians 1, 21 uh, through 26. If you'll listen again to this, Philippians chapter 1. He says here, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. We see there, I have a desire to be with the Lord. Paul could say, Barnabas, you know, I'm kind of tired of running around all the time and being chased and being called names. Let's just get this over with. You, you can go on to uh, Lyconia. I'll, I'll just stay here. Let's just end this thing once and for all. Stone me and get over it and just send me on to the Lord. He might have said that. 
But he didn't do that, right? For him to stay to, and, and to be put to death, well, I could be with the Lord. But what am I missing if I, if I am taken out? What service do I render to the Lord then? I will be home. I'll be in glory. In Acts 20, we also see his attitude is revealed quite plainly. And I, I love these verses. These are some of my his, his departing words uh, to the elders in Ephesus. Um, he says this in verses 22 through 24. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am, not on, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Oh boy, you know, bonds and affliction. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the seacoast. I'm looking forward to this. What does Paul say? Bonds and affliction. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I can anticipate. And let, listen to his attitude. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's a wonderful attitude. This is the same Paul who now in Coloss or in Acts 14 with Barnabas, they have to weigh out, is it time to go or is it should we stay and just face whatever might come our way? Their decision, it was to leave. To live another day and to continue to advance the kingdom of God. That was their goal. They fled Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby and the surrounding region, Luke says, and they travel south and southeast, not licking their wounds, but intentionally they leave, for they continued to preach the gospel. There they continued to preach the gospel. Difficult decision, you bet, but they don't quit. Notice this, they don't stop providentially seeking to faithfully deliver the gospel wherever the Lord would lead them, and he does so through the circumstances such as these. This is the instruction that is given, the encouragement that is given to us as the church, the Lord's church throughout the nations. Persecution is clearly taking place in a much more harsh manner in other countries, in other continents than they are currently here in the United States. But it is here and it is coming. The cake decorator, the florist up in Oregon, um, the, the young man who was shot in the head uh, for preaching the gospel. It's here. And so we have one of two options, friends. We can either go along with the world and just be quiet and see out our days peacefully and with comfort and not rankle anything. Or we can own our Savior before the world and take whatever lumps comes our way and we can say, like the Apostle Paul, it has been granted to us to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's a privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And so without rancor and without malice, we must continue to move forward like the apostles, like the example we have of them, to, to, to continue in the face of opposition, uh, wherever that may lead us, 
to continue to speak of the majesty of our Savior. That's our job. And the privilege has been given to us to do that. And so we mustn't cease. I'm against these, these churches and these people who say, let's just give them what they want. Don't do it. To do that is to be unfaithful to our King and our Savior. And it is not going to see anyone come into the ranks of heaven if we will act that way. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord's blessing. We thank you, Father, again for this word and for your faithfulness. We pray for those who are suffering, for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, for our brothers and sisters in Europe, for our brother who lays in a hospital tonight recovering from a gunshot wound. Oh, Father, we ask that you would grant him to have full recovery, and we pray that in all of these instances that your blessing be upon them and that they will speak your word and that they will not uh, draw back and be afraid. Father, we ask that you would open doors for us and that we will count the cost and that we would love Jesus Christ more than anything, more than anyone, and that we would give to him our all, for he is worthy of nothing less than our very best. So help us, we pray, not to be negligent, not to be slothful, not to be fearful or timid, but help us, Lord, to fulfill our callings, to fulfill the ministry you've given us to do. We humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.